This episode of Breakthrough Success is brought to you by Samurai Innovation, helping leaders to solve the three core challenges to create a high-impact and sustainable business. If you want to learn what those three core challenges are and how you can solve them for accelerated business growth, make sure you head over to SamuraiInnovation.com, which will be in the show notes. Anyways, let's jump right into the episode. What's going on, Breakthrough Success listeners? Mark Berti here, and in this episode, we are going to talk about fire your boss. But no, we're not talking about quitting your job. You don't have to do that. Instead, it's about discovering the work that you love. So we're going to jump into that in this episode. Our guest who joins us today writes and speaks on how to shift your mindsets, your beliefs, and your habits to make more impact while experiencing more joy, connection, and adventure. The Enterprise Agility Leadership Coach enjoys guiding people and leadership teams to magnify their leadership impact while experiencing greater meaning and purpose in their life, work, relationships, and play. His book, Fire Your Boss, teaches readers how to discover what they love without quitting their jobs. Our guest who joins us is none other than Aaron McHugh. Aaron, welcome to the show. Mark, that is absolutely hands down the very best intro I've ever received. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Aaron, it certainly is a pleasure to have you on Breakthrough Success. And I feel like there are so many people who they just settle with things, settle with the way things are, but there are ways to, you, you can go the quit your job route, but you can look for ways to make it work if it is a job you enjoy. So I'm wondering if you could share with us how Fire Your Boss, your latest book came to be, and how do people discover the work that they love? Yeah, great question. So first things first is, Agree to start wherever you are. Wherever you are, there's something that you can learn. There's a reno renovation and a revolution that can begin wherever you are today. And that starts with an inside out. So that happiness is an inside job. Contentment, engagement, those are all things that begin from within. And there's a Gallup poll does an annual survey on employee engagement. And basically for the last 10 years, the best that they've come up with if they improved it by 1%. And what the results have been is that three quarters, two thirds, basically of the American workforce. And it's even worse internationally of the American workforce is disengaged. They're not engaged in their work. So really what it means is like one third of the people who go to work every day actually enjoy what they're doing and are fully engaged in giving it their best. And I find that tragic. I think it's just wrong. And what the reason I find it wrong is because it's basically a human condition. The human condition then means two thirds of anybody that we know actively finds it, it like a soul sucking clock walk watching work. And that's not okay. And it actually has something to do with the work we're doing, but it has a lot to do with how we choose to engage, how we choose to show up and who we hold as responsible for our happiness and contentment. And 
it's sad that you mentioned, you know, two thirds of people, when you see one stat, like X percent amount of people, you gotta see it as X percent of people don't. So to see two thirds of people disengaged from work, not really enjoying it, seeing it's a soul sucking nature. And that carries over to your relationships that carries over to home that carries over to everything. So it is very hard for people to flip that on off switch when they go from work to family. I'm wondering if you can share with us the difference between your scenario where you discover work you love, you don't leave your job versus someone who just scrambles out of their job and is done with it and goes on to start their business. I wonder if you can share the differences between those two approaches. Yeah. And what I advocate for, I'll start with the reason. So 15 years ago, I was on a bike ride with a friend. I turned to him and he had listened to me bitch and moan and whine for years. And he had done the same. We were in that two thirds, that disengaged two thirds. And one day I turned to him and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to fire my boss. And it wasn't like I had a plan. It was just this, what came out of me unrehearsed, unedited. And what I realized was I need to find a way. I need to find a path in which whatever I'm doing, wherever I find myself, I want to shift kind of the, the weight of um, the scales. I wanted them to be in my favor. And I felt like powerless in so many ways. And so what I learned is there was a trend. I had changed jobs a number of different times and even different careers. And what I found was the same reoccurring themes resurface at the next job, the next career. It was a matter of years that I was there. Maybe it was two, maybe it was three, maybe it was five years, but then the same stuff would come back up. And so what I found was actually, I'm the one who's bringing this with me everywhere I go. These are actually things about me that are resurfacing. And yeah, there may be a nuance to the place that I'm at, but what if I make this kind of my last stand, like the line in the sand? What if I actually stand up, address these core root issues that are undergirding my dissatisfaction And then that way, wherever I go, I could actually move from into a place of freedom versus in this, this place of feeling that I'm stuck or helpless or compartmentalized or frustrated. But what if I could actually move into freedom and wholeheartedness and uh, creativity versus um, always beholden to somebody else? So I find whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're a W2 employee, it doesn't matter these themes, learning to lead ourselves from within are very leadership-based skills that can liberate anybody wherever you are on the spectrum from the one-third who's already actively engaged to the two-thirds to the entrepreneur who runs the show. It's all the same. It's really about inner leadership. And just with the entrepreneur, it's definitely easier to have control and creativity but it's definitely possible from a workplace as well and some people who do want to become entrepreneurs they make that transition by getting the job first so you do want to know how to have creativity at the job because not only does it help you with being an entrepreneur if that's the path you want to take but if your path is to stay at the job then you're going to be engaged and that's going to lead to better things outside of your job so I am wondering, how do we have that creativity at the job? Because some people, they work for a very rigid company or their job description is very rigid. So in those types of scenarios, how do we 
find the ability to be creative and feel in control in those types of moments? Yeah, great question. One of the things I started with and rewind the clock 15 years ago when I was in a really challenging work situation, I didn't have a lot of agency I perceived. The work that I was doing had some really creative components to it, but the environment and the team and some of the management team that I worked with was really challenging. And what I discovered was I had spent so much energy, Mark, focused on the things I didn't have, the things I couldn't control, the frustrations that I had. I spent so little energy on naming the areas of agency I did have. So one of the things I began to do was to step into, um, if I want to become the kind of person who can actually lead great teams, build great products and services, then I need to do that irregardless of what other people are rewarding me for. And so oftentimes I was saying, well, I'm not going to give my best because they don't appreciate me. Or I'm not going to swing for the fence because what if I'm wrong or they don't let me or I'm, whatever it was, but it was very tied to other people's responses. So what I decided to do was, you know what, what if I read this book by a guy named Hugh McLeod and it was called Evil Plans and it was kind of like a, a, a Dilbert, kind of a irreverent version of Dilbert. But what he had was this idea, he asked this question, which I found really profound, which is what is the evil plan that I have? Because if you don't have one, and what he meant by that is like, what's your plan for kind of his version of world domination? What's your dent in the universe you're going to make? What's the purpose and meaning that gets you out of bed every day? And I realized I didn't have a plan. I was frustrated that someone else who I worked with and for, they had a plan for their own version of world domination. And I was just simply a cog in the machine to help make it happen. So I began to actually craft what is, the, what is my plan? And I realized, you know what I really want to do? I really want to make a difference in the world of work, in the future of work. Now, granted, I wrote this down when I was uh, working in a manufacturing company. Mm -hmm. I was showering at lunchtime in a mop closet, and there were ant traps. And rant, rat, That's rat not traps. pretty. <laughs> it was not pretty. So I was like the least qualified person to make a difference in the future of work on the planet at the time. But I realized that's what I want. That's actually what I feel like my deeper calling, my deeper purpose. So how can I do that? Well, in the circumstances I'm in, it felt impossible. But what I realized is that because I believe that this happiness and contentment is an inside job, then I have to learn to lead myself in such a way where I can become the kind of person who can make a dent in the universe for the future of work. So how can I learn to lead myself in ways so I would do subtle, really small things like I would go for a run anyway at lunch, shower in a mop closet. It wasn't what I wanted it to be, but it was the one thing of agency and choice I could do. So I just left uh, right before joining you. I just finished my 80th day in a row of running. That was a small little like the COVID thing I could do. What's within my agency of control? Well, I can actually control that I can do this one little thing each day to give me some continuity, some consistency. And over time, it really builds upon each other. So today, fast forward, I've spent time with executive teams and with individual executives and coaching them on how to turn small, tiny little shifts like that into making a big difference in the world that they work. And so it's really cool. Now I work with, you know, billion dollar companies 
that help them, whatever they're doing, whether it's pharmaceutical or it's chemicals or whatever their industry may be, but it became, it started all with these small little tiny habits and these big ideas of making a revolution and, and becoming a heretic wherever you are and starting to make a difference and not waiting for other people's permission to do so. Breakthrough success listeners, you heard the word habits. That is a big theme on the show and it's the habits you have that are going to make or break you and just be like, pay attention to the different things that you do day in, day out. Some of them you don't even think about because habits are there, whether you are conscious of them or not. Uh, so I do want to point that out there. I do also want to jump in. I want to talk a little bit more about your journey because it's not like, so if you're like a financial analyst and then you go on to create a YouTube channel about finance, the transition is very easy to see, but going from where you were to where you are now and having those thoughts when you were at your starting point, like it's a harder transition to see. So how did you make that transformation? Like, how do we get from little steps to making big steps to being where you are now? Yeah, that's a great question, Mark. Um, I think most of us, me included, we really just want the shortcuts, the tips, the techniques to propel us and expedite our journey. And I just turned 48 a few months ago. Uh, and what I've learned is that there are some really great shortcuts, um, tips, techniques, things that you can do, like I call them like upgrading your OS. Like what are the things that you can upgrade your OS? So one of the things I do regularly is I use Headspace as a meditation app. I find I just need, as a habit, I need some daily, just he clear Headspace to install new, small, five minute, 10 minute, 15 minute bits of reminders of who I am, what I'm here to do, what I value, and the difference I wanna make. And just by having those little tiny bits, what I think I underestimated and undervalued for so long was that I wanted to make a giant leap from point X on the map that I'm at today to big giant leap of where I wanna to be tomorrow. So a friend of mine, we were riding in a truck, this is probably 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, he reminded me of it recently. And he said, what do you want to do with your, for a living? Or what do you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to coach CEOs and write books. And it was like outlandish. I was not coaching CEOs and I was not writing books. But what I realized is that there was a seed that was in me. The seed that was in me is I want to make a difference and I want my life to matter. And I want to amplify the lessons that I've learned along the way. And so what I think is undervalued in our culture today is the small, tiny, everydayness that actually closes the gap. So it's that silly phrase of how do you eat an elephant? And it's one bite at a time. Well, the same thing is how do you close the gap from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow? And it is actually one disciplined, little tiny step. The other thing I would add too is that really learning to release outcomes. And it's so easy to drive for an outcome, to drive for a destination but I've learned that the more I tight grip and, and tight fist knuckle my way towards an outcome, I, it ends up being not that great. My experience along the journey ends up being full of kind of stress and anxiety and worry and just this drivenness within me versus when I actually just set a, a direction, 
I want to head towards becoming the kind of person who could have something of value to offer CEOs. Well, that's a very different, that's a directional setting versus a destination of, well, how soon can I get there? And the irony to me is um, I, it, it's actually hard like to, to now be in the space where I'm spending time with executive teams. I don't know what to say half the time. But what I've learned is because I set that direction a decade ago and made these small choices regularly, this everydayness, and began to own my own engagement, my own contentment, my own joy, and build in habits, rituals, routines, sustainable practices that could help me keep going. And, and honestly, too, I've become a wholehearted person. I used to be very fragmented, and I used to do, this is when I work, this is when I play, this is when I call my wife, this is when I'm engaged with my friends, and I try to keep everything in this little box. Like I try to put lids on them when I was done. And it was a mess. It was so hard to do because then I just became a fragmented person because that's how I tried to manage my life. So I stopped trying to manage my life and instead stepped fully into living my life, which is actually a lot harder because all it's not, it's not near, um, it, you can't have this, the sentiment of control that you, I perceived to have when I could put them all in boxes and regulate them. But the problem was I wasn't that successful in experiencing a life that I actually could sustainably keep up with. So I could do campaigns and probably like from looking over your shoulder, you know, all of the great work that you create, all the books, all the podcasts, like I could go on long campaigns to produce something like as a conquest or a summit but I found that I was tired all the time. I was just burned out. Yes, I would accomplish big things, but then I would always have to kind of retreat and go um, replenish. And so I started asking different questions. How could I become the kind of person who lives in a sustainable way where I don't have, I can still make meaningful impact regularly, but I'm not burning out mm -hmm. and having to retreat after these big campaigns. So I'll pause there for you. And the directional goal setting is I, I've seen a lot. I've done that myself where instead of saying I want to hit a certain milestone, I've just slowed that down to I just want to do more, take more action that gets me closer to the milestone. And I feel like when you are focused on the action instead of the goal, you do get there sooner. You do go in the right direction. Versus if you look at a milestone, the nature of setting a milestone goal is to set a goal that given what you have right now, you're not going to hit it. You have to increase your growth or you have to grow at a faster pace if you're trying to hit a number of social media followers in a certain amount of time. So it's better to have that directional focus than the focus on end goal and destination and even like social media numbers because you can look at the numbers of one of your videos and be like oh like that's not gonna get me to where i want to go but you do yeah. have to take it one day at a time and aaron brings up a really insightful point be direct have those directional goals instead of destination goals yeah that's really great and like to your point um i've had a lot of people like in the social media world about creating content that's a great example is you can look at um, individual results. Well, how many people watch this video or download this podcast? And actually what I've learned is instead a directional goal is how could I build a body of work 
that has meaningful impact collectively. And that over time, that might look like, in my case, that's everything from talks to books to podcasts to all kinds of things over the course of years. And then the work that I do, a lot of work is with clients that's not public. So it's not seen like in terms of media scene, whereas uh, you know, it's not for public con consumption and use. But it's still part of a body of work I'm creating. And what I've learned is that that is really meaningful. So the people that I admire most, um, people like Seth Godin is a good one. You know, he's been writing a daily blog for, I think he's 11 plus years. His body of work every single day, his everydayness muscle, the, the videos, the books, the, he's created this every day, every day, every day, every day. And I think what's fascinating about that is that that's actually how you close the gap over time. For very, very few people, are they magically teleported from point A, where they stand today, X marks the spot to some future state, and they get discovered or you know, they get some lucky break. Those are so rare. I just interviewed a friend of mine the other day. He works in Hollywood as a stuntman. And he was just on a, a movie with Brad Pitt. And, you know, I listened to his story. He's been doing it for 29 years. So yeah, above the waterline, like on his LinkedIn profile or his IMDB, you know, profile, it looks super rad. But the guy has been at it for a long time. So he's become the kind of person who gets asked back. Many people in that world carry such an ego. They might do great work, but they're not enjoyable to be around. They're not enjoyable to work with. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that he relates in those stories. I just picked up on a couple sensing moments of, oh, okay. So part of how his magic recipe is, he gets to work, you know, on movies like Star Trek and the Matrix 4 because he's great at what he does and he's become the kind of person that people want to have around. Well, that's a very different thing to set a direction of how do I become the kind of person who can make a difference in this world? Well, that's a very different question than just what are the tips, techniques, and strategies to make a difference in the world. There's many people that I know that have made a big difference, but they burn out, they quit, <laughs> they become miserable. And so I think the bigger challenge is how do we make a difference wherever we are? How do we begin to do work we love? And it may be in the smallest of way. How do we make a contribution to the world that we find ourselves in today? And then over time, lo and behold, we become the people that are the easy people to say, oh, hey, Mark, you know, I got this thing I'm working on. Would you be interested in helping me with that? Because you're the kind of person, right? You've become the guy to make a difference. So then all of a sudden the possibilities open up are significantly greater than the people who are crossing their arms, grumbling about how life is and all the breaks they didn't get versus the people that are just saying, you know what? I wonder what's around the next corner. Hmm. And the one thing I tell people who want to start a YouTube channel or grow their existing YouTube channel, same thing for podcasting is have a six to 12 month window. I feel like there are so many people who don't think long-term and Aaron's mentioning his friend who, you know, when you're involved with Brad Pitt and you have, that's insane. But then you look at 29 years and you can, depending on what you're doing, it doesn't have to take you 29 years, but I believe you have to have a six to 12 month window just as an assessment point. Like you're not going to 
if we're talking about going from zero to a hundred thousand subscribers and something like that doesn't happen in six to 12 months unless you get a really nice break. But six to 12 months, you're going to have an idea of, am I moving in the right direction? And even if the numbers say it's going to take you several years to hit it, you just keep moving in that right direction and you do get a few breaks here and there. So having that long-term mentality is vital when it comes to accomplishing any goal and doing the work that you love and being able to stick with it during those rough patches. And Mark, one thing I would add to this doing work that you love for a long time, what I learned to do was to figure out what is it that I love? Let's name that not, and then compartmentalize um, actually better said is to be able to make like a, a left column is the stuff I love. The right column is stuff I don't love. And then look through the right column of the stuff I don't love. And is there any of that? Like I, I did things like, how can I automate some of this? Or how can I hire a virtual assistant to do this, some of the stuff for me? Or how can I fire myself from the stuff that I don't love by um, training somebody else that I work with to do those things? Then in the column of what I do love, I would differentiate there's work that you love that you get paid for that may put food on the table. And there may be work that you love that you are not paid for but you love it so much, you'll do it today. And in time, it may produce income for you later that replaces your income today. So I began to look very strategically at my income as I might have a funding source of a day job that this, I may not be my favorite job on the planet and the thing I just can't jump out of bed to do. However, to view it as like it's my um, venture capital fund, that I'm going to do the W-2 job. It's my tent making. It's my, you know, tax collecting. It's my, you know, whatever. I'm a CPA. I'm, I'm a salesperson. But if I can have like 10% of that or 20% of that go into my funding source to do the work that I love, yeah. which is maybe it's in your case, you mentioned creating a YouTube channel. Well, then all of a sudden I have a funding partner. So I can then begin to build out a body of work in this arena that I want to play in more. And how do I become a thought leader in that arena without putting pressure on it, having to earn money today? So I've had many, many, many years doing work that produces income to fund the other work that I was exploring. I was in an exploratory phase and a building phase and a startup phase. And in my case, I've worked for probably three, four different startups before. It always takes twice as long as you think and twice as much money as you think. And most of the time that was in the terms of years. So anything I've built, whether as a W2 gig or my own entrepreneurial endeavor, it's always taken a lot of effort and a lot of time. And there's so many things that don't, you can build a spreadsheet to say all kinds of stuff and when your break even is going to be. And I've watched breweries go out of business. I've watched startup companies go out of business. I've worked for some like, Whatever Excel tells you to do doesn't mean it's right. Meaning uh, your calculations of mm. what, you know, the extrapolation of what your revenue growth is going to look like. I've never actually produced one that was accurate. They were always wrong. They were always too, too, too little or too, um, too much. So I un underestimated it, how great we were going to do, or I underestimated how long the goodness would last. So my point is these everyday this build a body of work, play the long game. Yes, take advantage of short tips and techniques, but build into 
the discipline. And I use that as a light term. I don't mean that like in a regiment way, but I mean it in a life-giving way. What are the things that undergird your life and your work that would enable you to keep going and not tire, not give up, not throw in the towel, not get discouraged. And all those things are going to happen along the way. But the stories that I tell in Fire Your Boss and the stories of others are that kind of bolster of uh, encouragement to keep going. And we all do hit the rough patches. Any story of someone who's overcome a rough patch is definitely going to help out because it's one of those, hey, this person did it and I can do it too. And there are so many stories like that. It's just a matter of coming across them again and again. Fire Your Boss, great book. Definitely go check it out. We will throw it in the show notes. Aaron, I just mentioned the book being the show notes, but do you want us to put anything else in there for people who want to keep following your work? Yeah, that's great. You can find my podcast. I'm knocking on the door of about 200 episodes at Work Life Play. And that's going to be another work I love. So I've done lots and lots and lots of episodes from like hotel rooms while traveling for client work during the day. Um, it's everything from adventure field reports to interviews with the CEOs to guys like Seth Godin. Um, so I find it really fun and I follow my curiosity, whatever is making me curious, that's who I pursue. And whatever I find um, in that, I use that as just my means of like almost processing, like making sense of the world. And then all things you can find under my body of work. I started a blog accidentally in 2011. And lo and behold, you know, fast forward with books and podcasts and all kinds of other things. It's yeah, I have a body of work that I've created now by setting that direction all these years later. I mean, Aaron's got a whole bunch of content waiting for you. So we will throw all those resources in the show notes, the book, the podcast, everything in between. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on Breakthrough Success. Thank you guys for coming on, listening to this episode. I always appreciate that. And thank you, Aaron, once again, for coming on the show. It's great having you here today. Yeah, you too, Mark. Well done.